Good morning, folks. We're going to go ahead and get started with uh, what I call part deux. That's French. And this is, this is definitely going to turn into uh, at least a three, not four-part series, given the pace at which we're going, plus I added some more slides. Um, next Sunday, I won't be here. I'll actually be on a, a business trip, so we'll skip next Sunday. And the Sunday after that is probably the first Sunday of the month, so it's probably communion. So part trois, which is three in French, um, <laughs> will be, I guess, the second Sunday of October. Okay, so I'm going to kick off and just remind everybody why we're here. I don't know if there's anybody completely new, but um, the point here is to use biblical principles and uh, accumulated wisdom of mistakes that I've made and things that I've learned and just some common sense, a lot of which you can find in the Bible, and apply that to your personal finances. So part two, you guys know who I am. Um, Part one, for those of you who missed it, either because you were in membership class or you just missed it, it's available. Apparently, it's been posted all over the place. I'm even on Sermon Audio. First time, I'm probably the only time I'll ever be on Sermon Audio, which is kind of cool. Um, do ask questions here, but also if you're either you know shy or you hesitate, ask me offline. Quite a number of you did that, and quite a few have actually followed up one-on-one, -on -one, and I've already received a number of resumes to review and critique and edit, uh, job interview, um, kind of help. So that's what I'm here for, is use me. You know, if you want to grab coffee, if you just want to send me something, I'm happy to report that some people actually got job offers, right, Destiny? <laughs> Woohoo! And we're in the, uh, the job offer negotiation phase, which is, uh, which is very cool. So Destiny and I have been exchanging quite a few messages, but you got a great job offer. Um, so that's, uh, it's kind of fun to see when those things happen. I'm always going to put this disclaimer, um, the legal disclaimer. I'm not a financial expert. I'm not a tax advisor. What I tell you here may or may not come true. Past performance is not a promise of future performance. Hannah knows exactly why I'm putting all this legal stuff up here. Um, and tax laws change, administrations change. Um, so always double check with a tax advisor or with somebody before you kind of commit to things. Um, but this has worked for me, for my family. Um, and over the long haul, I think a lot of these lessons apply kind of irrespective of who's in power and almost irrespective of what the tax laws are. These things tend to, tend to work out. So remember that running your finances is no different than a company. And we talked about the three major financial reports, the income statement, the balance sheet, and the cash flow statement. And I want to continue along that theme is go through that P&L, but always boot up. When you think about your own finances, you're like a company. You're no different. Right? And treat it like a company. If you were losing money, if you ran out of cash, you'd go bankrupt. Right? That's what happens to companies. They go bankrupt, and that's the end of the company. Well, you can't go bankrupt, or I don't recommend you try that path. You can, but it's not a, not a very good one to, uh, to pursue. Um, so we're going to go through, I'm going to do a quick recap on income here. And um, I got some extra stats. Um, some of you asked, you know, what kind of jobs should you pursue? What kind of college degree should you go after? Um, and I did mention that this is the strongest economy we've seen in generations. And from a job standpoint, that's unquestionable. Um, I found this chart, which I found interesting. There are almost 11 million jobs open right now in the United States. And it's across almost every industry segment you could think of. Um, and of course, hospitality um, and leisure. But you look at almost everything else has substantial job growth and job openings right now. So whatever your skills are, whatever... You know, your talents might be, 
there's probably a few jobs out there waiting. So there's no excuse when it comes to the economy. And actually, this is a chart of job openings since 2019, whatever. That first gray bar in the middle there, that's the 2008 great financial crisis. So not a great time to be looking for a job. A lot of people got laid off. But look at what's happened since, and look at the little COVID dip we had, and then the rebound. Highest number of job openings in the history of the United States. So no excuse. Go find a job. There are plenty of jobs out there. New York City and the greater New York metropolitan area is no exception. So that's the first thing is finding a job, you need income. Get a full-time job, get a part-time job, get multiple part-time jobs, get a gig, whatever it is, you have to start with income. Otherwise, there's no profit and loss statement. And I mentioned that working is a godly action, right? And the opposite, sloth, is a sin. So wake up in the morning and start the job search and take that very seriously. Um, you need to find active income. You need to get a salary. You need to have all these things happening in your life um, for you to have a, you know, uh, a reasonable work-life uh, balance. You need some earnings. And then be pragmatic. I know Emma asked me, you know, are there any areas that you should or shouldn't pursue? Think about it. And if you need somebody to talk to, talk to me. You know, what degrees, what skills, what qualifications should you go after? What diploma, what school, what college, um, what vocation should you pursue that actually has jobs and has earning potential? Doesn't mean you can't pursue your passion, but if your passion literally has no job openings and no earning potential, you've kind of nixed the top of the income element. Right? So you have to be somewhat pragmatic in approaching where you go to school, what you choose to study, what you want to do with your life, because this is a long race. This is the next 40, 50 years. So pick something that has some longevity in it um, and you know, acquire new skills. But think through that lens when you consider going to school, to college, to get a degree, to invest in upskilling, where does that lead? Um, and if you need somebody to talk to about that, feel free to ask me. I have, you know, at least some experience, and I can give you some advice and coaching on what to pursue that has some earning potential. There's also something called passive income. Now, passive income is a beautiful thing because you don't have to work for it, right? But it takes a while to get it started. You have to prime the pump. The most obvious one is when you own real estate that you rent out and somebody pays you rent. You don't have to do anything other than, like, Hopefully, they don't trash the place, but usually, passive income is a very nice thing to accumulate over the course of a lifetime. So, real estate that you own that you rent out, real estate that you own and eventually sell, that can become a form of income later. It's actually an asset, um, but when you sell it later, that can be you know, a form of income at some point in time, and you can do that with multiple properties. Um, stocks that distribute dividends, so you actually own the stock and they pay a dividend to the shareholders, that's passive income because you don't have to do anything for it. You can own Apple stock and they pay a dividend. Um, you, have, you need a lot, a lot of stock to get something to live off of when it comes to dividends, but that is one other way of getting income. And then money that you invest that produces interest. Unfortunately, today, interest rates are pretty low, so you're not going to be able to live off of that, but that's another way to get passive income. And the thinking here is to make your money work for you. That's why you invest it, to grow over your lifetime, but eventually to produce income, passive income, when you're retired. When you stop working, you need something to produce what you're going to live off of. So over the course of your life, you want to accumulate assets that eventually become your passive income. Social security, that's a passive income because you've paid into it, but when you retire, they just send you a check. Not a very big check, so they don't count on it, but it is at least one other source of passive income. So that's income, okay? So we, we covered the first element. Now we're going to go to the next most important thing, which is tithing. 
give back to God. So we're going to talk about tithing. And the 10% tithe of the Old Testament is not technically a hard requirement in the New Testament. It's a good place to start. But if you actually read through, and I've talked to Andy about this, it's not a hard requirement. It doesn't have to be absolutely 10%, but it's highly suggested that it be something of that magnitude. And it's really more about being generous and sacrificial with your giving, right? The 10% is, it's an arbitrary number, but it's something that means something to you and obviously contributes to your church. And ultimately, it's as one is able Not everybody can contribute 10%. Some people contribute more and should if they have the means to. Some people honestly can't, or maybe they're going through a tough patch. That's fine. But you should always think of what are you able to give generously um, back to your church. So I suggest when you will talk about budgeting, you just start with 10% and see how does that math work? Can you make 10% work? Can you make 12% work, 20%? Or mm, 5% is probably all you can do right now. Zero not being necessarily an option. So as your income changes over your life, as you have maybe a bonus or unexpected inheritance, whatever, you can bump it up temporarily. You can also bring it down temporarily. But do it consciously. You have to think this through. It's not something you ignore. It's not something you just fire and forget. You actually should think about it, not every week, but at least every year as you budget, what am I going to give back to my church? And you budget, start with 10 and then, kind of fluctuate up and down from there as you're able to. And at the end of the day, it's more of a heart issue. And that's some of the biblical quotes I gave last Sunday. It's really a matter of the heart. Money in and of itself is not the important part, is where is your heart and where is your treasure? And what do you do with the gifts that, you know, the skills you have, the income you have, that's God that's given it to you, so give back. And ultimately, that's what your heart needs to dictate is how much do you give back? So there's also another word um, beyond tithing, it's offerings. And the tithing was more of the, the Old Testament, kind of the law. Um, offerings is kind of what can you give additionally? Um, and it's not something you have to give every single Sunday. Sometimes there's a, a special kind of capital raise to build a new building or whatever. Um, so those are in addition to the tithing. Um, in the Bible, the, it does say, you know, you have to tithe and offer. Um, so it is something we are commanded to do. Start with a 10%. And then if there is an offering, if there's a campaign, if there's some reason we're, I don't know, we're trying to build a fund to go buy a new building or to redo whatever, a whole bunch of AV equipment, that would be on top of the tithing, right? The tithing is really to run the church and essentially, in our case, to pay our pastor. That is our number one uh, command is to make sure that our pastor is taken care of. Now, one big question, do we do this pre-tax or post-tax? So some of you may say, well, what does that mean? I'll show you an example. Right, but this is a, a big distinction um, to be made because in the Bible, it doesn't necessarily tell you the tax code was a little bit different. Tax rates were a little bit different 2,000 years ago. Um, but I'll show you wh- what the impact is of choosing to do this pre-tax versus post-tax. I suggest you get in the habit of doing this. If you can auto-pay, don't leave it up to, hey, I show up on Sunday. I don't have any cash in my pocket. Oops, I'll skip this Sunday. Because if you skip this Sunday and everybody skips this Sunday, then Andy and Emma have to skip paying rent and eating this Sunday. I'm exaggerating, but think of it that way. Get into the habit. So if it's auto pay on Tithely, auto pay on Venmo, when the offering basket goes around, either immediately go to your Venmo or have the money put in an envelope ready to go, but just get into that habit of doing it automatically. 
because we count on that as a church to run our budget. We are counting on the regularity of the income and the tithes so that we can plan the budget. Um, put it on your calendar. I know we do as a family. We say, you know, give to church. We put it on our family calendar. So it just pops up and say, oh, yeah, we have to write that check. Not that we're going to forget, but um, but it's just, it's a nice reminder. You do it on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon or whenever you want to go into Tithely or, or Venmo. It's a good way to just keep that automatic habit. And I always make this trade-off. You know, a lot of you come in here and have these like triple venti, grande, soy cappuccino, almond milk, whatever, pumpkin spice, which I think is the flavor of the season. Is it that or Andy's salary? And I'll show you an example in a moment, the difference that choosing that every single week might make. Okay, so we're going to do a little bit of financial stuff here. So on the left, I've put what I call gross income. So that's your paycheck. Right? That's the gross amount of money without anything taken out of it that just hits you know, your paycheck. Then I'm going to show you what pre-tax tithing looks like. Taxes, because we all have to pay taxes. After-tax tithing, so those are the two alternatives you pay before or after taxes. What you take home net in your pocket after the taxes and the tithing has taken place. What the church gets, and then what Uncle Sam gets, the IRS. I'm going to show you three examples. First one is you don't tithe. Uh, not good, but I'll show you what that means. You make $100, illustrative purposes here. You don't give anything pre-tax to tithing to the church. Let's say you pay 30% taxes, which is not outrageous given federal, New York State, New York City, all the other taxes that hit you. 30% is not too far off. So 30% of 100 is 30 bucks. So you, and you don't give everything, anything after tax, so you have $100 minus the 30 of taxes, you have $70 left in your pocket. The church gets zero because you aren't tithing and you give Uncle Sam 30 bucks. Okay, simple math. You make 100, 30 goes to Uncle Sam, 70 goes in your pocket. That's for a non-Christian. Pre-tax tithing, same 100 bucks and you give 10% pre-tax. 10% of 100 is 10 bucks. You then get taxed on what's left after the tithing. So you pay 30%, but now on 90, right? 100 minus 10, you, get, you pay 30% on that, which is $27. You don't do any after-tax tithing. You take home 100 minus the 10 that you gave to the church, minus the 27 you paid Uncle Sam, and you have 63 in your pocket. Yes, that's less than if you don't tithe. Duh. Yes, if you give to the church, you don't take it home with you, right? You have 63. But the church gets... $10 and Uncle Sam gets 27 What if you do this after tax? Same $100. You don't give anything pre-tax. You pay your taxes first, 30%. So you pay 30 bucks. You then pay 10% on what's left, the $70. So you're paying seven to the church. What's left, you have 63. So you have the same amount give or take, right? Tax brackets, I mean, it's, I'm doing some simple math here, but ultimately you have the same amount in your pocket, but you've given less to your pastor and more to Uncle Sam. Who would you rather see have your money? Where is God's work being performed? Right? Simple math. Doesn't change ultimately the outcome for you personally, not that much, but it does change substantially the outcome for the church and what you give back to the government. And this is perfectly legal. This is actually encouraged to give pre-tax. And you get a document that you can file with your tax that says, I gave this amount of money and it's deductible from your income. There are some limits, et cetera, et cetera, but 
I'll, this is simple math, but this is how the pre versus post tax. Yes, Eric. There, there are some limits. There's, um, then they sometimes claw back with adjusted gross income. There are all kinds of mechanics. Um, yes, that is true. There are sometimes limits. Um, so that's where you have to go see a tax advisor. Where, where should you, you know, at some point, if you give, you know, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, whatever, at some point, yeah, you can't deduct all of it or the deductions kind of phase out or they reincorporate some of that deduction into your taxable income, tax you on it. Yes, um, that is, that is absolutely true. Um, I guess you, you need to do the math on what, what, is, what is the upper limit above which mm, it may be diminishing returns, but ultimately you're still better off giving to your church um, and try and avoid as much as possible to Uncle Sam. Um, yeah, Emma, and I think Alex had a question too. And some of it's based on your income. So there's a percentage of your income you're allowed to do this on. So go see a tax advisor and they can tell you what that limit is. And if you can give up to that limit, great. And then beyond that, you can kind of make the trade-off. Um, but that's one of those tax things based on your tax bracket. What other deductions do you have? What other things um, are you give to? Other charitable um, uh, donations you give? What's your mortgage interest deductibility? What's your state income tax deductibility? Those all, all those things accumulate. And when you kind of blow that away, all of a sudden the government comes back and claws back through something called AGI, adjusted gross income, and reincorporate some of your deductions back into your taxable uh, income. So that, that very, very good question. Test the limits and find out. But it's, for most of us, we're not going to hit that limit, right? Um, yeah, Alex, you had a question? You're good? Okay. So I'll send, you know, I'll send these slides out, but this is just to show you my encouragement to you is think of the 10% or whatever percent do it pre-tax. You'll get a tax document from me. I'll get around to it at some point in time for tax season next year um, that will allow you to deduct your giving. So don't do that first one. That's the main message. <laughs> Pick one of the other two. Recommendation is to do it pre-tax just because it puts more money in God's hands than into Uncle Sam's. So Anais, this is for you. So I hear that the drink of the season is this pumpkin spice latte, and it has a whopping 470 calories. Now, I, no, 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 I chose venti. I, okay, this sizes make no sense. Grande should be the big one. Anyway, I chose venti, okay? I added extra milk foam. I went with whole milk because, I mean, why you know, waste a good calorie? Um, two shots of espresso, five pumps of pumpkin spice, extra pumpkin spice, and extra whipped cream. I went all out, but that's usually what I see in the pews here. On <laughs> Zing. Okay, so this is just an illustrative example. Okay, this thing costs six bucks, 25 cents. Okay? So, and it's also 470 calories. I mean, that's just ridiculous. All right. So... $6.25, let's assume you take two days off, right? So five days a week, you get one of these monsters, right? That's $625 a year after tax. 
right? You've already paid taxes on that money that's in your pocket and you're paying with after-tax money. Pre-tax, that's $2,300 a year of pumpkin spice, okay? Which is also 122,000 calories, which means you have to run an hour a day, five days a week to burn off those calories. So first of all, health. Secondly, the alternative is you actually give $50 a week pre-tax in tithing. That's the math I want you to do. That feeds your pastor versus you having to run an hour a day, five days a week, every single day for the entire year. I'll send you the slide on Ace. I took, this, this is pretty cool stuff, right? I have screenshots and everything. And I'm not saying you have to deprive yourself of life's pleasures, although I'm not sure pumpkin spice is one of those. Um, but you should look through that lens. Where do you put your money? Where is your treasure? Right? And if you accumulate over 365 days a year, it adds up, particularly if you're doing it with after-tax money. After-tax money is the most inefficient money because you've already paid 30%, given it to Uncle Sam. Right? Can you do good or do much better with your money by managing it through this lens? And it adds up. I mean, that's a lot of money, right? 2300 bucks pre-tax. That could make the world of difference in a church's budget. And this is just avoiding the pumpkin spice latte. So tithing. First thing is you need to budget it. We'll talk about budgeting, but you need to have a line item right after your income, tithing. How much am I going to give to church every single Sunday, every year? Automate it. Whether it's putting it on your calendar, Tithely, Venmo, make it systematic. Right? Or, or when, before you come to church, put it in an envelope and it's ready to go. But you have to have that reflex. It's not a, oh, do I have any, do I have a dollar bill in my pocket? And when the basket goes around, I throw it in. You need to be thoughtful and proactive about the act of tithing. Do it systematically. If you miss a Sunday because you're not here, make it up the following Sunday. Andy and Emma don't care whether you're here or not. They still need to pay rent and put food on the table. And just because you're not here on a Sunday doesn't mean they have to skip their Sunday. My recommendation is for you. Yeah, go ahead, Alex. That's fine. So you can do it. You can do it. We do it monthly. Um, we write one check monthly. That's really up to you. From a cash flow standpoint, I'm managing that for the church, the, the bank account. We can kind of stomach the seasonality. Um, we know there's a, a monthly seasonality. Some people you know, give one check for the whole month. Some people give more towards the tail end of the year. Naturally, November, December, you tend to get more. You get more visitors. Um, people get end-of-year bonuses and tithe on that. Um, budgets are usually a little bit tighter January through March. Um, but I'm, I'm managing that cash flow for the church. So do whatever is convenient for you from your own cash flow standpoint. If you're paid every two weeks or every month or whatever the your own cash flow allows you to do, uh, just as long as you plan for it. My recommendation is also for you to consider bumping it up every single year. If you give 20 bucks the following year, you give 25 bucks every Sunday. If you give 50, go to 100. If you give 1,000, give 1250. Whatever the rounding up is, right? Because inflation is also true for the church budget, but usually you have salary increases, bonuses, whatever changes in your income, you should actively consider bumping it up every single year for the remainder of your life. And whether you, if you get a promotion, do you need to burn that cash? If you get a bonus, can you tithe additionally on that bonus? Um, 
So I would encourage you to consider that. And then don't forget to write it off from your taxes. So when tax season comes around before April 15th, you make sure you have that document. If for some reason you don't get it from me, ping me and I'll produce the document, which will say you donated this much and I need to be able to trace it. So I need Tithely, Venmo, or a check. If you just throw cash in the basket, I can't do anything for you because I can't attribute it to you, right? So if you put it in an envelope, if you put cash in an envelope that has your name, then I can track it, right? So there, I know there are some um, offering envelopes here. They're not ours, they're Rock Churches. But if you want if you want to put a paper clip and a post-it note and say, this is the 25 bucks from so-and-so, then I can track it, right? Without tracking it, I can't give you a tax document. Yep, Hannah. Um, so I will send you, uh, before April 15th of next year, uh, Doc, because I can pull a report from Tithely on, um, I can say, you know, Hannah, what was Hannah's um, giving? And then I can produce uh, a tax document from that nominatively for you, because it'll say exactly, you know, how much you gave which week, et cetera, and the total, and I can write a letter. Yep. So that's my plan is to do that next year. And the ultimate question here on tithing is what comes first, God or Starbucks or Uncle Sam, right? Think of it through that lens. Prioritize, that's what the, the Bible commands us, is to give back to God as the first act once we've made some income, which is a gift from him to begin with anyway. So that's tithing. Any other questions on tithing? Okay, we're going to go to expenses. And there are different flavors of expenses. Obligations, things you have to pay. There are needs, things you kind of need to live. And then things you want. We're going to go through that. So obligations are things like taxes. You have to pay your taxes, right? You can minimize them, but ultimately you still have to usually pay some form of tax. Mortgage, if you have a mortgage, you have to pay at a minimum the interest on your mortgage. Um, credit card interest, they don't usually give you much of an option. Once the 0% promotional APR thing expires, it's like, boom, 17.99% or 24.99%. You kind of have to pay that. Um, health coverage, Pretty dangerous not to have some form of health coverage in, something, in case something goes wrong. So those are kind of obligations, right? Then the, the short-term needs. Well, if you, know, if you don't have a house in, on which you're paying a mortgage, well, you have to rent of some sort. Utilities, electricity, water, heating, cell phone, whatever you want to put in that internet. Food, we all have to eat. So those are kind of necessities. And then there's the long-term needs, which are actually savings, but they kind of come out of their, their an expense because they come out of your pocket. That would be planning for retirement, planning for college, um, planning for your parents' retirement and health concerns, uh, buying a house at some point, so saving up a down payment. Those are all kind of long-term needs. They're savings because you build up an asset that you then uh, get to invest but they actually are an expense in your day-to-day -day cash flow, right? If you put money aside for a, um, to buy a house, it actually has to come out of your checking account and you put it somewhere else. And then there's wants. So fun travel, vacation, clothes, fun activities, right? So that's kind of the way I bucket expenses. The first thing is you need a plan, and the plan is called a budget. If you don't have one, you literally don't know where your money's going and you can't plan for it. You can't modify your behavior because you don't know kind of where the money's leaking out. Right? And then you may end up a month where, oops, I don't have enough to pay rent. Or, ooh, the tax bill came in and I don't have the money to pay the tax bill. Right? Um, so the first thing to do is to have a budget. And I'll tell you a little bit about how I, I go about it. And it's not that complicated. Many of you are kind of early in your lives, early in your careers, so you don't have that many complications uh, in a budget. 
but actually having a vague idea of what your burn rate is every month is a good thing. And I'll give you some suggestions on how to go about that. Second thing is once you have that budget and you know what you tend to spend on, where can you reduce expenses? Where do you just have some subscription to some magazine that you never read? Where is there something that's showing up in your bank account? And you're like, wow, why am I still subscribed to this? Or boy, those, that's an expensive fee. Or boy, I go to Starbucks a lot. You should scrub your expenses, right? Because what do these subscriptions do? Well, they get you hooked. And then it just kind of hits your bank account, but you never actually do anything about it. So unsubscribe. Stop spending on certain things. Stop incurring expenses that are non-value-add, are not essential, right? Because if you can save 15 bucks here, 25 bucks there, that kind of adds up every week. So make sure you're always scrubbing those things that are on your credit card statement, on your bank account. It's like, sometimes they're mistakes, it's rare, but sometimes they're mistakes, so chase those down. But just look at those ones that you're like, why do I still get this recurring fee? Why am I still paying this thing? Right? And that, those, that happens a lot, because that's what marketing is all about, is to get you hooked, and then you keep paying, and you just kind of don't even notice. So if you're subscribed to... Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Hulu, all the other ones. Do you need all those? All of them? Maybe just subscribe to one. And they have like family ones too. So make sure that not everybody's using their own. You can get the family grouping of those. Um, Deferring gratification. Um, Just because you want something doesn't mean you need it right now. Sometimes it's better to enjoy it when you really can afford it, when you've saved up, when you can do that kind of splurge vacation, when you can buy that amazing whatever piece of electronics or clothing that you want. Learn also how to be patient, right? You don't have to have it in the moment. I know right now the big rage is, you know, buy it now, pay later. A lot of services are doing that. That's called debt. It's the same thing as a credit card. You're living above your means. So be very careful because it's very seductive. There's a lot of marketing around that. Um, A lot of services, a lot of companies are, I mean, Apple, Facebook, Google, everybody's rolling out services like that. Like, you know, buy, enjoy now, pay later. Okay, well, there's an interest rate somewhere in there. Right? You're going to pay for it at some point. And just because you want it now doesn't mean you need to have it now. So be very careful because marketing is very subtle, very subversive, um, and they will seduce you. you. Yes, you want this. You need this. You, you can have it now. No money out of pocket. Eventually, the money's coming out of your pocket. It's just a question of when and at what rate. Are you going to pay it twice for it because you have an outrageous interest rate on it? Making choices, and this is something to pray about also, is where are you spending your money? Where are your expenses kind of bleeding out of your your pocket? So look at your habits, look at your behaviors, right? And think of the reflexes. Sometimes, oh yeah, I I always get, I'll use the Starbucks, I always get a Starbucks before I come to church. That's a habit. Do you always need that or not? Could you actually just make coffee at home? Not saying you have to sacrifice all the pleasures in life, but there are ways to look at things. I always spend this. I'm, I'm used to this habit every single week, every month, every whatever. Sometimes it's worth questioning those habits and breaking some bad ones. And then look at your lifestyle and your burn rate. Can you actually afford the lifestyle you're trying to you know, project on Instagram or Facebook or whoever? Um, can you actually afford it? Right? And that's where a budget helps you. And then you compare your budget, so kind of your plan, with what you're actually doing every month. You say, well, I'm only going to spend 20 bucks a month on this. And then at the end of the month, you look at it and you say, you spent 80. Ooh, okay, well, clearly uh, I need to relook at the burn rate here. Either I've misbudgeted or I need to change the behavior. But being able to see that on a piece of paper in a spreadsheet, I planned this and I did something completely different, or I planned this and I actually came in under. Wow, that's good. 
if I can rebudget at a lower rate. But if you don't have that visibility, that insight, you are flying blind. Companies don't. Companies have a budget, and then they have their actuals. And they look at deviations. Why did we overspend on marketing? Why did we underspend on this? Hey, we had a one-time surprise event here. We should factor that into next year's budget. You're like a company. But companies have to produce these financial documents for Wall Street and for the auditors. You should do the same thing. Right? You should be in control of and on top of your numbers and what your lifestyle burn rate looks like. So let's talk about some of the key line items in your expenses. Rent is probably the number one item for most people um, because New York City is the most expensive place on earth and even the greater New York metropolitan area, no matter what borough or if you're in New Jersey, it's still outrageously expensive. The Bay Area is a close second, um, but we have chosen to live here and that's a choice we've made. Therefore, rent's going to probably be top of the list. Um, so encourage you to manage that actively. If it's the most expensive thing in your, in your expense line items, how you house hunt, how you choose, um, how you renegotiate leases or rents, um, the roommates you get with, this is important. You need to spend the time here because it's the most expensive thing you're going to be investing in while you live in, in the New York area. Uh, and don't forget utilities, right? Even though you may be splitting them with roommates, you start adding heating, electricity, water, internet, TV, intercom, co-op, whatever fees, that adds up. So don't think it's just the rent. It's everything else. Plus the safety deposit that they ask you for you up front, plus state taxes and municipal taxes. That all adds up to this line, this category of rent, housing. Right? So spend the appropriate amount of time on this because it's going to burn the biggest hole in your, um, in your budget if you don't manage it aggressively. Right? Health and medical coverage. Um, if you can, some of you have options. If you're young, so under 26, most of you can stay on your parents' plan, which I would encourage you to explore that option because very often if the parents are still working or have some coverage, you can basically ride that for free because you're included in a family plan. Um, so in our case, our boys, both of our boys, even though Matthew's now working, Matthew doesn't pay health coverage because he's on my plan. Right? So at least somebody's paying for it, but you don't have to pay for two plans. So if you are under 20, I think it's 26, double check, but I think it's 26, you can stay on a parent's plan, which is a wonderful thing, right? Because it's essentially free and you can thank your parents, um, but it's not incremental cost. Um, or if you're employed, obviously double check, does your employer have health coverage? Almost every employer has to have health coverage. Um, so explore what plans they offer. And if you want to talk to me about, you know, hey, which plan should I take? Because it's confusing. You got these words called premiums and deductibles and out-of-pocket and copay. Yes, it's confusing. But a lot of it is understandable if you just spend the time and go through it. This is another important line item uh, in your budget. Um, choose a medical plan that kind of adapts to your state of health. Right? If you're generally healthy, don't get sick too often. Or if you have a pre-existing condition, or if you're about to have a baby or whatever, your health status should determine to a great extent what health plan you're going after. Right. If you're paying for the, you know, Cadillac version of some, uh, well, I don't know if you guys know what a Cadillac is. I guess maybe it's different. That's a generational, like the Ferrari, the high, the super high end healthcare coverage, but you don't actually need it. You're wasting a lot of money, right? And if you have a pre-existing condition or about to have a kid and you're going kind of the cheap route, you know, be careful because if you have an unexpected medical expense, it's going to come out of your pocket. 
right? So this is something also to actively think through and adapt based on your life circumstances uh, and your needs. Um, childbirth coverage in particular, I know there are a number of people here who are expecting, which is lovely. Um, delivering a baby is expensive. If it's out of pocket, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars. Pardon me? Yeah, yeah well, cheaper at home, but still, it's gonna, you're still going to... It's still very expensive. You go to the hospital, do it at home. It doesn't matter. It's still expensive because you, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happens when a child is born, um, and the medical expenses. Um, and even when things go very smoothly, it's like ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars, right? In some cases. So, and when things get complicated, it's a lot more. So, if you're planning on having kids, if you're about to have kids, think of that when it comes to your medical coverage. Yes, forty thousand now. Okay, maybe I'm remembering when. When this guy was born, it was that was back in the '90s. In the '90s, um, but it, it, that is a massive expense, right? I mean, it's a wonderful investment, but it's a massive expense, and it, it's not like you can walk out of the hospital and say, no, "I'm not paying it," right? Not that they'll hold the kid back for you. But <laughs> um, there's one. Another thing also, we talked about pre-tax and post-tax. Anything you can do pre-tax is a better usage of your money, right? You're basically saving 30% in that previous example, a 30% tax rate. Instead of giving it to Uncle Sam, you're actually using it for your own good. In this case, there's something called um, health savings accounts where you can pay all of the out-of-pocket expenses, so co-pays, the premiums, deductibles, et cetera, with something called an HSA, a health savings account. Many employers offer that. Look into it. I think it's capped at about $5,000 a year, but you can put away pre-tax money, so you can put like 100 bucks away a month, and that you can use that $100 to pay the 15 bucks you owe at the pharmacy to get whatever uh, medication or the 40 bucks uh, copay that you owe at the doctor's visit, but you can use it with pre-tax money, which means you're saving 30%. Now, unfortunately, if you don't use the health savings account uh, at the end of the year, I think there's some companies allow you to roll part of it over, but it kind of goes away. So you want to manage that, but I think it's up to $5,000. So here again, part of your budget, if you know what your normal year medical expenses are, like how many doctor's visits, dental visits, whatever you have, and you know the copay is 15 bucks, so you do 15 times the number of visits, and you, know, you kind of add up how much should I put into this health savings account. And it's just a smart way to avoid paying these health um, expenses with after-tax money. So if this is confusing, come and talk to me, but most employers offer an HSA. Another thing that is a wonderful investment, doesn't cost too much, is leading a healthy life, right? And therefore, you can avoid having to go to the doctor or incurring um, medical expenses. So work out, right? You can, work, you can run outdoors. You can run in Central Park. That's pretty low cost, right? A pair of sneakers, you're good to go, right? Or join a gym. There are plenty of 24-hour gyms, some relatively low-cost gyms. Lead a healthy lifestyle and learn how to eat healthily and sleep healthily. And I can tell you, for somebody who suffered years of not being able to sleep very well because of jet lag and too much travel, it makes a world of difference. And it makes a world of difference in your pocketbook because you will not incur a bunch of medical expenses because of a poor, healthy, unhealthy lifestyle. All right, so that's a good investment, particularly for the younger crowd here. Get into that habit now. Stay healthy. You're healthy to begin with. Stay healthy. Right? Because it's a lot more difficult later in life and it's going to cost you a lot more to try and fix things that you have to undo 40 years of whatever. Right? The last element here on healthcare is long-term parental health. Um, and I know this firsthand and I know Jennifer knows this because our dads are you know, in their mid to late 80s and inevitably age catches up and they have health expenses that 
Hopefully they can cover, but what if they can't? What if they have something catastrophic? Who's going to pay for that? They don't have any income anymore. They could dip into their savings, potentially, if they have any, or they're dipping into your inheritance, which is another way. Um, what can you do to plan for that with them and for them? And I know that might sound very distant for many people that, you know, now my parents are in great health. Yeah, but they're going to grow old and you want to be thoughtful and planful about that. And that's another kind of planning element in your healthcare coverage. It's not just about you. And by the way, when you guys have kids, at some point, talk to them about that. Like when Jennifer and I get old, I'm counting on Matthew and James to take care of us. <laughs> but it's, it's true, right? Our parents took care of us when we were incapable of taking care of ourselves. That's also what we need to return to them is taking care of our parents when they need us. And you need to plan for that because if they have a sudden medical bill that they can't afford, it's on you, right? And if you haven't planned for that with some kind of emergency fund or some way of planning for it, you'll be left kind of holding the bag on that. And that's probably the worst feeling is if you can't help your parent. So that's one to start to think about based on the age, the health of your parents, right? Another expense line item, insurance. Most people don't boot up in the morning thinking, oh, I've got to think about my insurance. But you need insurance because bad things do happen. Uh, renters or homeowners insurance. If you're renting, you probably are required to have renter's insurance. At least in New York, I can't imagine a landlord not saying, show me proof of insurance, right? If you flood the place or you burn it down, whatever. So here again, something to shop around. If you buy a place, you need homeowner's insurance, right? You need to shop around. But it's another one of those obligations. You own a house, you need homeowner's insurance. You rent a place, you need renter's insurance, right? Most places, it's not optional. So you have to pay that. Personal item insurance. So if you have family heirlooms, if you have something that's you know, a piece of art or jewelry or something that's really precious and valuable that's not covered by those, like an, a piano or whatever you might have at home, make sure that your poli- what your policy covers and what it doesn't. And you might have to get an extra policy to cover something that's really important to you or very valuable or irreplaceable. Auto insurance, don't drive without it. Most of us don't have cars, a few people do, Um, but most people don't have cars in New York City, which is probably a a good financial thing. But when you do have a car, you need auto insurance. Here again, something to shop around, but it's an obligation. You can't drive around without auto insurance. Umbrella insurance is something that basically covers kind of all of miscellaneous uh, things that happen in life, particularly if somebody sues you or if somebody slips on your doorstep and they sue you because they broke their leg. And, you know, New York in particular, but the United States is a very litigious country in New York State, New York City, very litigious, lots of lawyers. Not that that's a bad thing, but they will sue you for oodles of money. And if you're not covered, that will come out of your pocket. So umbrella insurance is also another way to protect yourself. Um, These are more sophisticated things. It's something to think about because these things do happen, right? Um, And then life insurance. Uh, Now, this isn't something where, you know, if you die... You, know, you you can get resurrected. It's not how it works. Um, life insurance is actually an investment and something you leave behind for the people who survive you. Um, and that's a, it's another asset class. So it's like stock, et cetera. You can buy a life insurance policy that will pay out when you die and the surviving spouse or the surviving um, kids will get that. And it's basically something you invest in that grows over time. It's relatively tax efficient if you do it the right way. Something to look at, particularly when you're young and healthy, and a non-smoker and a non-soy latte frappuccino pumpkin spice drinker, you will get preferred rates. 
Um, and the sooner you lock in, because they always do a health check before they give you life insurance. If you can do it when you're really, really healthy, your rates are dirt cheap and you get a really good life insurance policy. If you do it when you're 55 and, you know, smoker, unhealthy, cholesterol, heart condition, et cetera, et cetera, your rates are through the roof and it's just not worth it. So life insurance is something to consider when you're in the prime of your youth. Lock it in, get it. It's a good investment tool and it's something that will benefit your surviving spouse or kids, right? And it accumulates, particularly if you're young, it accumulates over the next 40, 50 years. So it actually can represent quite a bit of money and it's very tax efficient and usually can be out of what's called your estate, um, which gets taxed. So here again, just another interesting line item in the topic of insurance. So expenses overall, you need to track them. You need to manage them. So we talked about a budget. That's a one-time kind of, here's what my goals are for this year. But you need to manage them every day, every week, every month. Um, I suggest you buy a piece of software, whether it's Quicken or use Excel if things aren't too complicated, but use something. Right? Here again, if you don't track them, if you're relying on pieces of paper and statements, some of you can keep it in your head, but it gets pretty complicated pretty fast. So my suggestion is actually manage it actively. A company doesn't run a company without you know, a financial system. Right? They have computers that produce numbers, and they can pull reports, and they know exactly to the dollar where their money is. You need to be running your life like a company and have a system, a tool. And I use Quicken. It's you know a nice tool that's been around for decades. There are plenty of other ones, online ones, iPhone ones. But use something. You can plug your budget in there. It'll compare your budget to your actual expenses. You can All your logins for all of your accounts can be tied into it. So it'll download all the transactions for you. Um, but that way, at least you'll know and you don't have to re-enter stuff. You can just automate this stuff. What this gives you is the opportunity to observe budget versus your actuals. Because otherwise, you're flying blind and you're probably burning through cash. You probably have no idea where the money is going. And at the end of the month, you're like, oops, there's nothing left in the bank account. Or what happened to my salary? Or where's all the money gone? Um, to start a tool like that, you need a budget. Yep. Michelle? Yeah. QuickBooks is, is more adapted to a small business, which I'm sure that's what you guys use. Yeah. If you guys use that for, for your business, um, QuickBooks is great for, for a small company or consulting or um, childcare in this case. Um, if it's for personal, QuickBooks is the just a personal version of QuickBooks. QuickBooks is, has payroll and other more sophisticated things. So yeah, but if you run your own business, your own company, um, yes, use QuickBooks. That's probably one of the best ones out there. If it's just your personal finances, um, I recommend Quicken, but there are plenty of other ones. There's one called Mint, uh, a bunch of other ones out there. Um, if you don't know where to start, you know, get a tool that's going to say, well, do you have a budget? And you're going to say, well, where do, I, where do I start to get a budget? Just pull up the last six, three to six months. What have you done the last three to six months in terms of your expenses? Where has the money gone? That gives you a basis of history to say, oh, yeah. I've spent this much in rent, this much in utilities, this much in taxes, this much in healthcare, this much in Starbucks. And at least you have a recent run rate of what your money, uh, your money burn rate has been. So once you've made a budget, you should also start to do some quick uh, math on what I call ratios here. And this, you know, this isn't totally scientific, but the 50-30-20 rule of thumb is where should your money, what buckets should your, be, should your money be divvied up into? Um, the needs, so this is you know, the, the obligations, the needs, this is the rent, this is the stuff you have to pay for, right? Utilities, basic food. Most likely half of your after-tax money is going to go there. Right? So you need to plan for that. Then you've got 
the wants. So I want to do this. I want to travel. I want to go out to this restaurant. I want to go see this show. I want to do whatever. Put that there. And whatever's left is savings. Now, actually, that's backwards. You should start with how much do I want to save? What's left will be the fun, the funny money that I can go out and enjoy. But it just for, because of the percentages, 50, 30, 20. This is one way at least to look at it. You can change your percentages, but it's a good way to bucket things. How much do I have to pay? What are my obligations and needs every single month? Because that just comes off the table right away, right? You don't have a choice. I'm going to suggest that your savings should be in the same category. You should make those mandatory, make those automatic. And the balance, what's left, is the fun money. And if you want more fun money, well, you're going to have to either dip into your savings or change your lifestyle, right? But there's a trade-off here between all these. So when you do a budget, start looking at some of these simple ratios. How much of my money is being consumed by obligations and needs? Can I change some of those? Or do I have to go you know, make more money, right? Do I have to change the career plan or get a second gig or whatever it is to be able to afford the needs and obligations to eventually be able to enjoy the fun part while putting aside the money for the savings. Because if you skip that 20%, you can't retire, you don't have an emergency fund, you don't have a college fund for your kid, you can burn through that savings by going crazy with the wants, but then you don't have a future financially, right? So I I suggest you look at these, once you have a budget, once you've looked at your run rate, start looking at what do you have to pay, what do you want to pay, and what can you actually start saving? So that's what that expenses. I'm going to stop because we are three minutes before service. So this is definitely going to be a four or five week series at this point. <laughs> um, I will send these out. Um, if you have any questions, catch me after church, catch me at the picnic, drop me an email. A lot of you did that already after last week, which I really appreciate. I will find the time um, to share whatever wisdom um, or translate some of the terms like, what does he mean by that? Um, but Next Sunday, I mentioned I will not be doing this because I'll be traveling. I'm on a business trip next Sunday. The following one is communion. So I think our next finance 101, biblical finance 101 will be the second Sunday of October. Okay. And we'll cover uh, debt and taxes and maybe we'll get all the way to savings. Okay. Thanks, folks.